Do you want to know how a film crew of misfits have made four moderately successful feature films for no money? Want to know how they shot the fourth one in nine days straight? Pick up Red Cow Entertainment's first book, More Weight, The Making of Having Fun Up There and Other Filmmaking Tales, by me, Frankie Frayne. Available on paperback, hardcover, PDF, and audiobook. Includes asides and appendices from other filmmakers and beautiful production stills. This 287-pager contains funny anecdotes, do's and do nots, technical step-by-steps, screenwriting, producing, and cinematography tutorials, and film festival and distribution advice. Go to redcowentertainment.com store. Also available on lulu.com, amazon.com, and audible.com. Read it. You'll like it. Hi, I'm Frankie Frayne, and I've been making movies since I was a kid. I've made four low-budget feature films of varying success, and I've been to film school. Twice. For better or worse, I've developed a science for completing feature-length films on pocket change, and it has a lot to do with the conversations you'll hear on this podcast with teachers, friends, and artists. You don't have to pay 40 grand a year for bad advice. This is Discount Film School. Welcome back to Discount Film School. Uh, Neil Murphy was on episodes five and six uh, very early on when we first started the series. Uh, he was actually our first two-parter. Uh, we were having a really awesome conversation about uh, uh, film festivals, submissions, do's and do nots, uh, his experience. And we also kind of delved into his origin story, what brought him through screenwriting and eventually filmmaking. And um, today, we bring him back. We bring him back because he just launched a Kickstarter yesterday for uh, a film that he wants to make called Underside. Um that that I read years ago, actually, and I remember at the time he was like, "I think this is this is going to be the big one. This is going to be kind of the next level up for me." And um, and I remember actually over over time being like, "I wonder if he's ever going to do anything with that movie." And uh, and just yesterday he IMs me and goes, "Hey, yeah, I'm doing something with that movie." So welcome, Neil. Uh, thank you, thank you, Frankie. So t- so so uh, kind of go all the way back with this one and bring us up to the present. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, so it's true that uh, it's been almost, I guess, a little over three years since I kind of started developing the concept and started working on it. And then I just, you know, I got, I got, I made, I went off and, you know, because the thing about Underside is that I, I always knew it was going to be this, this bigger, longer, short. Um, and I, I felt like I sort of had to build up my experience a bit. So I, you know, as you know, I went off and made two other shorts and then, you know, then I got caught up in teaching and some other stuff. So it, it, um, you know, the timing, I was just kind of waiting for the right time to go ahead with it. And this just felt like it. Um, what's it about before we even start, move on? Yeah. Good point. Um, it's about, um, this, this middle-aged man named Oliver who's unemployed and he's, um, living out of his car and it takes place around the holidays and he visits with several members of his family and he can't, he can't tell them that, um, he's hiding basically his, his, the, his situation from them. And, uh, you know, it's so it's a lot, you know, like the, I mean the title underside, I don't know if people will get it. Like my, my mom, she looked at the title and she was like, what the hell does that mean? Um, but I mean, my thinking on it was it's like an iceberg where like you've got, you've got the tip, and it's above the water, and it's this. It's that's like the little part that you present to the world. But then, what's really going on? The bulk of you is is the underside. What's what's underneath, below the water. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of like the contrast is is a big part of the story between how this guy presents himself to the world and how what the reality of his life and his homelessness and. All, all, all his sort of struggle. I remember reading it and, and talking to you about it. And the thing that kind of struck me about it was like, 
um, even if people see through the lie or they're able to somehow be like, I think that this is kind of a facade or, or I think I really know what's going on here. It's the humiliation of bringing that up at all. It's the, it's the humiliation of, of, uh, of breaking the facade that, that really can destroy a human being. Um, it, it's not even necessarily about convincing people. It's about just making sure that no one's addressing it. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, it's interesting and you're right. Cause I mean, in life, like we sort of, you go through those, I don't know, un, unspoken packs kind of yeah. where you, there's, you know, there's something that it's, it's a, you know, it's an elephant in the room and, and other people might suspect it or be aware of it, but it's just, it's, you know, it's this thing that you don't talk about it because it's, you know, people are trying to like emotionally protect themselves. Um, and you know, they don't, they don't want to be sort of humiliated like that. So yeah, I mean, I think there's some people in the story who, um, there's some people who probably suspect that Oliver's struggling more than he's letting on. I don't think, um, I don't think, you know, I don't want to give away the ending, but I don't think until the end, uh, you know, anyone really kind of realizes the full, the full depths of what's actually going on with him. I think people, but I do think some people are kind of, you know, giving him that sort of look like everything okay, you know, just because he has been sort of acting a little bit differently um, in in the backstory of, of, you know, the last several months before this. So what makes it a more ambitious project than something that you've done before? Um, well, it's a longer script. It's the, I mean, it's the long, it's the longest short script I've ever written and it's the longest short script I've ever set out to make. I've made, um, I'm not sh- I'm trying to think in my head. I think I made like five or six shorts since I was an undergrad and they've been getting, you know, kind of progressively longer and more involved. You know, some of them are very short. Some of them are like eight, nine minutes and some of them are more like 15. I did like a 20 minute one once in undergrad. Um, but this script's 30 pages and, um, you know, I think when, when we, when we edit it, I, I think it, it'll come down a little bit. Like I, I could see it being in the, you know, maybe like the 25 minute range. Um, because I've just noticed that with editing, it seems like my, I don't know, it's my stuff, but it, it just seems like the, it usually comes in several pages under, you know, they say a page a minute. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, it, it seems like it always comes in a few pages under when, when you actually start, uh, really cutting especially but, if it, especially if it's really dialogue based yeah um but um yeah so um it's just you know it's an ambitious project because i mean i mean i you know i'm i'm gearing up now to to go and do it and it's just it has a lot of locations and it's got a fair amount of um characters in it and it's you know it's the scope is just sort of um i think it's a bit bigger than the other projects i've done where the other projects have been more, you know, like the last two short films I did, one took place all in one room and one took place all in one house right. um, with, you know, so th- those were very confined, whereas this has a, a broader scope where we're, we're sort of going to a lot of different locations at different points in this guy's life, you know. I've always known you to be very conscious of, um, you know, wanting to to write stories within your financial means or your production means. Because yeah. you don't want to exceed, like you, you, you know, you don't want to, um, uh, in the interest of of getting something ambitious done, uh, have the you know have the production value lack or the standards of quality lack. That it, it might even be the one of the big differences between you and me, where I'm I'm just like we can we can do anything and then you know fall <laughs> short. 
But uh, you, yeah, you've been conscious of not falling short, and so I think that's why the scope of your shorts have been have been smaller. Yeah. Um, and well, you know that that reminds me of um, you know, uh, well, I mean, I don't want to compare us to these two greats, but um, I will. <laughs> um, you know, Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas were were friends, and I don't know if you've ever seen that uh, documentary, but you know, it's like Francis Ford Coppola was just he's he he was always so positive, and he was always just like that we can do anything attitude and George Lucas was always like well what about this or we're going to run into this and yeah. what about that and friends for a couple of you always be like you're an 85 year old man like what are you doing you know like like why are you talking why are you being so negative and and I was just thinking like in you know in our personalities you're probably the more uh optimistic kind of one you know like whereas I'm I I I don't I don't think I'm a negative person I think I'm just like I think I'm, I, maybe I'm kind of, I worry a lot. I don't know. You know? Yeah. Well, you don't, you, you, you definitely, as I said, you don't want to fall short. I remember, um, I remember like early on when, when you first started your grad program, uh, I was like, do it, do it, do a feature, man. You're ready. You've made a lot of shorts. You've done a lot of things. You know how to make a film. And you yeah. were like, oh, a feature is, you know, like you wanted to get it damn right. You wanted, you, you are waiting for the moment that, that it's, that is right. And you know, I, I admire that a lot. Um, but this this for you is that next step up in in terms of pr- production scope. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is you know, I mean, it's an ambitious project. I mean, it, it's definitely. I mean, if I you know, obviously, fingers crossed. But I mean, if I pull this off, yeah, I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be very different from my from my previous stuff. When you when you look at it, you know, and you think, wow, there's a lot of locations, a lot of characters. Like, there's a lot going on in this story. Um, I think it's gonna feel. Uh, sort of different from the from the stuff that comes before because you know some of it I, I I mean I think I've done some really good work but I think you can you could sort of see those tactics I'm employing where it's like oh it all takes place in that one room or you know things like that um, which you know I, I I don't know I I've always just felt like are are things maybe you have to do if you if you if you're worried about overextending um, and then having the film you know collapse in this horrible mess I've always been worried about. I had one film in undergrad kind of just collapse. Um, and I've, I've, ever since then, I've always been very kind of conscious of well, what do I need to do to take this film to the end? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's well advised, <laughs> as, as, yeah. especially for people who are just starting off with filmmaking. Um, but that's not you anymore. So uh, is this, am I right to say this is three or four years in the making this particular project? Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, it's, I'm trying to remember when I had the idea. I think I had the, I, I think I had the idea, wow, you know. 20, I think 2011, I, had, I want to say? Yeah, I might have had, a, I might have had an earlier incarnation of it in 2010, but I didn't start writing anything. You know how you have, you all have an idea and you'll just say, oh, that'd be interesting and, and you just kind of put it in the back of your brain, you, you know. And, and so I, I think originally I, I had something like that and then, you know, I actually, um, I, I had to leave Emerson uh, during what would have been my second year to to go on medical leave, and um, and I was you know so I was just sort of I was out of the program uh, during that period, and um, I just I I really wanted to try to get something done. Um, you know, it, it, it was kind of hard. Um, you're pretty much you're pretty much bedridden, right? 
Yeah, I was doing I was doing uh, chemotherapy and and it was um, you know, I was I was sick a lot and you know, you start you start getting kind of fuzzy and you get headaches and stuff. So, it was it was really hard to focus, but um I was doing an um an independent study with uh, Jean Star Wars and um and she was just really kind of uh great with, you know, um just sending me emails, not, you know, not pressuring me, but just saying, Hey, what's, what's going on with your script? Cause I pitched her that I wanted to go off and, and write this, um, short script. And then I, then it sort of took, then it took a lot longer, but I did finish a draft. Um, and that draft, you know, was at, at the time it, I, you know, I thought it was quite good. Um, you know, it's weird. It's, it's, it's always weird when you, you write something and then a couple of years pass and you've learned so much more about writing and you, you go back and you look at it and you're just like, Ugh. a different human being wrote this. I mean, yeah, yeah. basically, I think, you know, I, I think that's very true. It's like the when you, you know, it's like it, it's just how like your tastes change and stuff, you know, like you're something that you make at 20. That's a completely different person than something you make at 40. Yeah. Um, so I actually I just rewrote it from scratch. Um, but, you know, all these years, the the idea has been just kind of bubbling on my, um, you know, my back burner. And I've just, I've just been kind of getting the pieces together. You know, I've, I've had my eye on certain things for a couple of years now. Um, and just gathering the pieces together to, to actually go and launch it. You know, why is this the one? Cause I, you know, I, I, eventually you had to make a thesis film you, and, and even if you didn't have to make a thesis film, you wanted to take a step up. Why yeah. is, why is this story that story? I feel like, you know, I mean, any, I, you know, I, I said this on the Kickstarter page, but it's like any script that I, I go off and make, I have to feel strongly about, um, you know, you just have to, because it's, it's so much work to oh, yeah. take even a short script and make it into a film. Um, that said, I think underside is, it's kind of one that I feel sort of, I don't know, maybe I feel more strongly about, you know, um, just because I, I've sort of lived with it for so long and, I feel like it's it's a character that I can really understand and there's there's themes in the movie themes about you know sort of protecting yourself and and kind of like you know hiding in plain sight things like that that I I I just there are things I've thought about for a long time and you know they don't, it always interests me when I look at someone and I think you know like what's really going on in their life you know um that's always been kind of a driving uh you know, it, it, I, I think um, there's this Matthew Weiner was talking about, like, when he writes on Mad Men and he was saying, like, he likes showing the contrast between how someone like performs in the conference room and they give a speech. And then, like, when they go home and they're brushing their teeth at night, like what's really going through their head. And I think we all have that, you know, that sort of you have this separate life that's interior to you. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just I, I, I think that I really like exploring that. So in the last episodes of the podcast that you were on, <clears throat> you described yourself as more or at least like your gateway into filmmaking was screenwriting and you had to develop uh, yourself as a director and filmmaker. Yeah. Where are you kind of on that track and, and how does this film play into that? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, to write, you, you don't you don't really need anything. You know, writing is writing's free. So, you know, you can go off and you can read a ton of scripts and you can write a lot on your own 
And it's, you can get a lot of practice with writing and it's, you know, it's, it's just, I've just done a lot more writing when it comes to directing, you know, it's like, even with a simple project, um, you start, you know, you're, you start using other people's time. Um, usually there's some money involved, um, things like that. So, um, I just haven't done as much directing as I have writing, but I've always wanted to be a writer director. I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to take my stories and see them all the way through, um, I always envision myself doing more writing than directing, like on a big scope. Like I, I mean, I'd love to write stuff that other people would go off and direct if if the scripts were good enough. Um, but I, yeah, I always saw myself as a writer director. I never saw myself as strictly just a writer or strictly just a director. Um, and you know, I think with this film, it's kind of interesting because I think for a while, particularly over the summer, I think you know, I got a little paralyzed. Um, sort of, uh, I don't know, a, a little like a little sort of stuck in my head where I just kind of I was I kept thinking about the production and the and sort of the complications of production. And I, I think I was just kind of immobilized with fear, you know, and then um, it's weird because I, I had like a very I had a very stressful um, night and I, you know, I was just kind of thinking about it and worrying about it. And this sounds this sounds like it made up bullshit, but it's not. Um and I, so I went to bed feeling really stressed out and I woke up, um, in the morning and it was like, my brain had worked it all out while I was asleep. Oh wow! And it was like, you have to do this, this, and this, and this, and do them in this order. And I just start, I just like, I just hit the ground running and like, I've been, that was, you know, several months ago and I've just been running since, you Holy know, shit. that's really great. I mean, I, I, it does, it it could sound a little bit kind of like, you know, falsely Eureka or something, but I, I, I think I've had moments like that in life where, uh, you get some kind of mental clarity or even emotional clarity where you can, you, you finally are able to dissect it into pieces. Yeah. Yeah. It's the pieces. Yeah. yeah. And once, once you see, uh, sort of, you know, uh, short-term goals that will add up to a long-term goal, it all feels digestible and possible and um, and you you can't wait to get to work on it. Yeah, I mean, well, um, Frank Underwood, how do you devour a whale one bite at a time? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. We were I, there was an episode not too long ago um, with this horror filmmaker <clears throat> named Henry Kudo, and uh, and and to him, you know, that was a that was that's a major piece of because he makes a lot of features and he makes feature after feature after feature, and to him, it's all about like um, doing a million things to eventually have done one thing. Um, yeah. And if, if you don't look at it that way, uh, you won't make movies. Um, I, I, I was saying, you know, and, and I, I, I teach short subject screenwriting at, uh, Emerson is, I know you're aware of that. I just don't know if any other people listening are aware. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, um, I was saying to my class, you know, it's like this mosaic where every, you, you figure out all the little pieces and then how do the little pieces connect together and, and form the big picture. And, um, you know, cause I was telling them that I think everyone in terms of screenwriting, at least I think everyone should start in shorts because it, what happens is the more, the more experience you get with the shorts and the more, you know, you see how every scene in the short interconnects and contributes to the whole, then television shows, pilots, features, they just start feeling like big shorts, Yeah, you know, where they don't, they don't feel quite so daunting anymore. They're definitely more work, but it's like it's like your perspective has shifted where you can kind of um, you can take a step back and say, yeah, OK, this scene is doing that. 
And that connects to this scene that's happening later rather than I think when, you know, I wrote some really bad features when I was an undergrad. And I think the problem was, is I just used to get kind of totally lost um, where, you know, I'd be I'd just be writing and, and it, it would just come to a point where it's just like, I don't even know what this story's about. Like, I don't know what the scene's about, you know, like um, and, and I think, you know, if you if you have a really good foundation, um, you, you, you know, you get a much better perspective on how to how to tackle these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how has teaching impacted your you as a filmmaker? Has it at all? Oh yeah, I, I think it definitely has. I mean, you know, the first the first class I taught was um, TV writing, and I mean, I I worked really hard in that class. It was um, it was sort of a it was a tough class to um, teach just because I don't have as much television writing experience. Um, you know, I had done. I'd written a pilot and I'd done a spec script of Archer. Um, and, you know, I liked television and I'd watched a lot of television, but I, I didn't really have the background um, to kind of make that, you know, it wasn't a great fit. Um, so, you know, now doing short subject, which is a much better fit for me because I've written a lot of shorts um, and, you know, I've, I've made short films and stuff. I'm just, you know, I'm just finding that it's like when you teach people at like, it clarifies your own thinking, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. when you actually have to sit down and you say, you know, cause the whole thing about teaching, you know, it's like, it's like you have to take a step back in your head. Like, I mean, I've often said that, um, it, this has been my experience anyway, is that if you're, if you're looking to learn from someone, you often learn from the person who's like one or two steps ahead of you. you learn a lot more from them than the person who's like 20 steps ahead of you mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the person who's 20 steps ahead of you, it's like, they have such a hard time, like kind of going back and, and, and things so much has changed. Like, so if you're talking with, you know, <clears throat> Martin Scorsese, right. And it's like, you're asking Martin Scorsese for career advice. It's like, you know, when Martin Scorsese like started out, that was like a completely different filmmaking world. Yeah. And, you know, so, I mean, completely different sort of culture, um, completely different things were going on. So I, while I think, you know, he probably has good advice, I think you might almost be it might be more practical to like find like a an independent filmmaker who's like you know uh, doing a digital feature, uh, you know, run and gun, low budget sort of thing, and and they're the kind of person who you can really pick their brain and start to mold in your head. Okay, this is how I'll I'll get to the next plateau. You right. know, right. Going back to the the idea of kind of like a death by a thousand cuts or <laughs> whatever it takes to finish a movie. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny because you know being somebody who who does features typically, um, I you know, see uh, like, like the script phase is where I'm working in the scope of the entire thing. You know, does it, does the beginning relate to the end? Does the middle move correctly? You're, 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 you're operating on a, a total level. And then as soon as you're buying props and you're making sure that you have enough cars for everyone to get there and you're, you're trying to locate the location manager cause she doesn't have the key. And you know, once yeah. you once you get bogged in, in logistics, you lose all of that. And really you have no choice, but to, to leave, like if, if you're worried about the whole thing working cohesively and on a whole, you have to kind of leave that up to your instincts. You know, the, your, your sense, yeah. your sense memory of what you were trying to do when you created the thing in the first place. And it, it's, it's really like, the last two movies, Sexually Frank and Having Fun Up There, I did more or less edit after we shot. Yeah. As opposed to the first two, Abo and 10 Pounds, where I was editing, like, you know, I'd shoot a scene, I'd edit a scene. I'd shoot a scene, I'd edit a uh, scene. Yeah, cutting as you were going. And, yeah. And it would, it, you know, 
when you do it that way, you're just watching a lot of little short films and then you show other people and they're like, I don't know how any of this shit relates. I uh, hopefully, yeah. hopefully you do. But, but for the, the latter two, I edited them kind of after we were done shooting. And so I got to have the experience on those movies of watching my own film for the first time. Yeah. And that's like a, uh, <clears throat> I, I think that in life we, we try to manufacture moments. We try to manufacture, um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know, like, like we want to be able to say like, we did it, uh, you know, we've made an accomplishment or we've completed something, but it never feels that way. It's like you never walk across the stage of a commencement really feeling like any kind of sense of finality. You're just kind of like, when yeah. are we doing dinner? You know, it, 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 life isn't that life is more moments. It's not so much like, like these, these, uh, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? No. Yeah. It's like, I mean the, you know, the, the, the movie moment doesn't really, it doesn't really happen in real life. And, no. and when you, you know, I mean, it's like when I when I talked about going to bed that night and then waking up and having it all figured out. I mean, that sounds like a movie moment, you know, yeah. and I mean, I'm aware of that. Like, I mean, uh, you know, it it did happen to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm maybe I'm making it more dramatic than it than it actually was. But I, I just sort of I think when when you have something that's even a little bit more kind of heightened like that, it does sort of stick with you. But you're right. I mean, I've when I walked, when I got my bachelor's degree, it's like, I don't know. I, I, I don't really remember that much about it. You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, it's, you know, you watch like the, uh, you know, like the special features on DVDs and stuff and you watch like, you know, like, and then that was the night that we all went to the premiere or that was yeah. the, uh, <laughs> you know, or, or uh, that was when we wrapped Brian Cranston for the last time on Breaking Bad and, and we shot it where, you know, the last shots were where we started and it was so fucking poetic. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's like, that's the whole thing. Like when, like when, you know, whenever they're on a uh, film shoot and they, and they rap and, and then it's like, that was it. That was it for the protagonist. And then everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, and it's just Yay. like, uh, yeah, and, it, and, it, and it's like, you know, you just see people and, and like then the, the lead person starts like crying, you know, yeah, and they're, yeah. they're just like, this has been an amazing five years, you know, like, <laughs> like that, that, that's never my experience in life. I'm never like, um, it, I'm usually just tired and pissed off. Yeah, right. <laughs> just because like, it's been so stressful to get through it. You know, I, it's like, by the end, you're, you're like. You try to, you you know, you're, you're trying to be positive, but I'm, I'm usually, I'm, I'm actually usually pretty down yeah. because I, I, I have like a perspective problem or something, but like when you're making a film so hard and like by the end of it, you're kind of just so beaten down mm -hmm. that I think by the end of it, you're like, oh, that was a complete piece of shit. And it's, it's not until, it's not until, you know, you, you start to forget some of the, like the trauma of production and you start getting into the editing room and seeing pieces come together that then you get excited about it again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You start solving problems again and that's when you're yeah. kind of your best. But, but I guess my, my point is, is that it kind of like you're going to sleep and waking up the, it does happen every once in a while where you have a, a moment that almost seems manufactured. And for me getting to watch my films for the first time, even in a rough state, even in a, an unrefined state, um, has always been really, it's been exciting in both cases, in my estimation, I was like, yeah, that was somehow, despite the fact that we were, uh, uh, you know, more bogged down by logistics than anything else in the midst of all that work, um, a cohesive movie came out of it. And, and, um, I think that's one of the things that motivates me to make movies is, is I come up with the idea and then I want to see the movie. I want to watch my movie. Yeah. 
And um, you rarely get to do that because you're experiencing all the pieces all along that you never get to experience it raw. Like, I'd love to be able to erase my memory of some of my movies and watch them fresh. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. What, what you, you know, what you said about um, instinct, though, I think that's very true because yeah. it's like you can you can form this elaborate, you know, detailed plan. And then it's like as soon as you get on set, you know, you start getting wrenches thrown in your in the works and, you know, some things go really well and you, you sort of have to try to take advantage of that if things are going too well. So you sort of have to you have to leave the plan. The plan is just like a rough blueprint. Yeah. Um, and you have to leave that behind. And I, I do think that following your instincts, um, I mean, ultimately, I think so much. I, I don't know. You know, I think maybe we've talked about this before, but it's like. I don't know how much you can teach directing. Like, I think it's, I think it's very experience based and I think it's, it, you know, it's just sort of like just kind of understanding how, how people are going to come across on camera and stuff like that. It's like very weird. Cause like whenever you, whenever I sit down to like read a book about directing or something, it's like, it's so hard to kind of, I, I think I said this, I, I, I've been saying this for a couple of years, but it's like black magic where it's like, you, you you can't follow this formula. You just have to kind of start making up your own spells and stuff. Well, if you don't uh, have a if you don't have a vision to begin with, then there's nothing to direct. Uh, often the thing that they're teaching are uh, tips, mechanics, how to refine it, um, or fundamentals. So uh, I think it's like any field where you know when they say like, well, can you teach that to somebody who doesn't know how to do it? It's like, well, inclination has to be part of it. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, I think they just. Uh, Emerson just started a comedy minor and, and some people were kind of laughing, like, like, how can you teach comedy? Like, isn't that, doesn't that take the, the comedy out of it or something like that to, to, and, and my response is like, no, I think what, what it is, is they're going to accept funny people into the program and, and then, right. and then they're going to help funny people be funnier or they're going to help funny people study comedy or what whatever. Um, it's so, it's so like, it's so awkward when, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I think like one of my students was asking me like, this is in TV writing, like how, how to like set up a joke, you know? And, and it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, I can teach you that. But like, it's, it's so wooden when you, you know, because it's like, I don't know. I think, I think like with, um, with comedy and this is, this is actually, this is kind of just my, I think my method in general is that I, I think it's less about kind of teaching the mechanics and it's more about absorbing. So I, I have my students just read a lot and watch a lot because yeah. I think that then you'll start to you'll start to pick up on those things sort of subconsciously, like how do I set up a joke? And it won't feel so manufactured. You'll just start doing it and in a much more in a way that'll feel much more natural. Um you know, it's it's strange, but I didn't start I really didn't start reading um scripts heavily until it's only been like, I don't know, about two years. And, um, and I, you know, that has like helped my writing so much. I mean, I, I, I just read a lot now. I read features, I read shorts, uh, you know, um, I read anything I can kind of get my hands on and make the time to read. And it's just like phenomenal improvement in my writing. And it, it sounds so shit simple, but it's like, it's weird because I've taken a lot of screenwriting classes and, and reading was never a huge part of it. You know, sometimes it's like, They'd have you read one script or something just to, I don't know, kind of get the formatting and stuff. And it's like if you go into a literature class, like an English literature class and or a creative writing class, I should say, 
it's like people are like, yeah, I was reading this short story and I was reading this novel. And it's like I think the same culture should exist with screenwriting where it should be like I was checking out this, you know, I was checking out the script uh, uh, Lost in Translation and, and I, I noticed that structurally they were doing this. And, you know, and I think it should just be that kind of that same mentality of like I'm going to absorb, I'm going to absorb, you know. I, I recently um, – one of, one of my big uh, inspirations when I was younger was Christopher Guest. <clears throat> I, I love Christopher Guest comedies. and um, But I hadn't watched them in a really long time because <clears> – I don't know. That going back to them is almost like going back to Pulp Fiction or something. It's like it's, – it's the movie you watched in high school and, and – uh, Yeah. You then, and then you kind of never watch it again. Um, but I, I rewatched all of them uh, uh, just a couple weekends ago and I was realizing um, – because comedy has evolved since then, and my humor has evolved since then, and I've made my own films since then, and you know, et cetera. But I'm sitting, I'm, I'm watching it, and I'm like remembering how closely I watched it when I was a kid. And the reason yeah. I know that I watched it that closely was because I'm remember, as I'm watching it, it's all coming back to me, like how well I, how vividly I remember every motion, every delivery, um, and and. You know, I was kind of thankful that I was like, I'm, I'm glad that if if when I was younger, I, I wanted to tackle this art form that I was watching things closely, that I was studying things closely. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's it's definitely a great idea to uh, to watch and to read. But, you know, you should be inclined to in the first place. Otherwise, you might want to ask yourself what you're doing. Well, but that, see, that's what's that's what's bizarre is that, you know, um, I've known a lot of screenwriters or people who wanted to be students who were interested in screenwriting in classes and stuff. And, and I don't know, reading was never a big part of the culture. You know, if you, if you go out in the world and you get a job as like a script reader and you're reading, you know, three scripts a day and writing coverage on them, then like, then you're sort of getting that. But in, in, in academia, I've never known, I give my class, you know, I give them weekly reading. I give them two shorts to read a week. And typically I try to pick something that's already been made into a short film, which I can already, I can also, give them the Vimeo link to so they can see how it went from script to screen. And I don't know. Yeah. I just, um, it, 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 it probably hasn't been emphasized in the past because a script is an incomplete film. Um, it's not a, it, it, it and, and, and I think people regard it that way. It's, it's not, um, it's not like a, 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 you know, whereas a creative short in prose is something that's published put on a shelf and is the finished product. So even though, even if your goal is to be a screenwriter, um, your, your next goal will be to hand that script off to a director or to direct it yourself. So I, I I think that they get, they get regarded somewhat differently, but, but I think you're spot on that. Like people should stop and and read those damn scripts. Um, Well, there's something, there's something uh, sad about a script that never gets made. You know, it's because it is it is like this com- incomplete sort of work of art, you know, yeah. where, you know, it, it could be the greatest script ever. And it's like if it never gets made, you know, almost no one's going to read it. Maybe a few like fanatics are going to, you know, who are going to be like, this is the best screenplay from 1978 that never got produced into a movie, you know. But like the general public is going to be totally unaware of it. And, it, you know, I mean, the general public doesn't I, they don't read screenplays to my knowledge. I mean, yeah. some people. I think if you talked with, you know, if you talk with people who read a lot, they read novels, they read short stories, some of them even read plays. I don't think I don't think the general population reads screenplays at all like as a as a, you know, a form of um I don't know, you know, study. Study, yeah. Um I'm guessing people think that they can assess a screenplay based on watching the movie. 
Yeah, but um, well, you know, you you sort of can't though, because I mean, because there's it's like you'll read scripts sometimes that are like they're better than the movie, and you can see that the director, you know, uh, maybe didn't do the best with the material, and then you can you can also read scripts where it's like it's it comes off so plain on the page, and then it's all in the direction and the actors' performances and stuff that really that that elevates that material into something really nice, you know. So uh, you were talking earlier about um, how film, like actual production filmmaking is about uh, taking advantage of opportunities when they show up, uh, trying to mitigate disaster or recover from disaster. Uh, You know the realities of filmmaking from having been practiced. Is that a major source of anxiety when you're in the planning phase for a film? You know, it, it's weird because I, I think the I think the older I get and the more experience I get, you know, the, when you've been through those sort of tough circumstances, you, it's it's kind of it, you sort of develop a tolerance. Um, I don't I you know you might I don't know if you agree with this, but like you know when I think of like I used to like really get stressed, really freak out. Um, you know, when I was like eighteen, nineteen, doing a short, just get so stressed. And the thing is, is that. Getting stressed out and getting anxious, it doesn't help anything. Yeah. It um, All it does is it increases your chances that you're going to make a mistake because you're not thinking clearly. Yeah. And so sort of the older I get, I try to – I think my tolerance has sort of greatly increased where now I, I – you know, I'm still – there's still – there's always going to be some tension because, you know, you're you're spending money and you're using people's time and stuff like that. But I think I've got a much better handle on it um, now that I'm older, you know, just kind of – um, when, when things start going wrong, just saying, okay, like, let's break it down. Let's work through it, you know, rather than everyone just loses their heads, you know? Um, and you know, I think that that really, for me, that came with experience. You know, I don't, I, if I hadn't made all these shorts over the years, I, I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd have that because, you know, I've just learned so many kind of like little tricks and like how to get things back on track and like, you know, and you also, you learn so much more about what you really need because, when you start out, you know, I I think a lot of people go through this cycle where you start out and you don't know what coverage is. So you don't take any coverage. Right. And then, then you learn what coverage is. And you overcompensate. And, and you over you take way too much coverage. Yeah, right, right. And, and, and then it's like then you have to work towards finding this balance between getting enough coverage so you have options in the editing room but not getting so much coverage that you start delaying the schedule and you're just killing – you're just killing the actors and crew and stuff. I mean, I like to do a lot of takes anyway. Um, I probably always will. But, um, but you know, I've, I've been – there's been films where it's just like – I'm thinking of one in undergrad in particular. It's just like the amount of coverage I took was like just absurd. I mean, you know, I mean now looking back, it was like I don't know what I was thinking, you know. Yeah. I had like two cameras going at points and it was just so much footage like you could – you get lost in editing, you know. Um, and I think you do have to kind of, you know – the more experience you get, you do sort of you make more conscious decisions about I'm going to shoot this and and it's you know that's the part of the story I need and and you know it's this close up that's the important part like forget the master or whatever you know mm-hmm. um, those are I think the those that comes with experience I I mean for me I, I you know I maybe you could you might be able to find someone who's just like a total whiz at it and knows it right out of the gate but I mean for me it's all been based on experience. Yeah, it's 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 huge. It's it's um, it's like playing basketball. You know, <laughs> like you just it, even if you're inclined, you 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 really need to uh, feel it lots of times and start and start to build sense muscle. 
Uh, yeah, I, sense muscle. That's good. Yeah. yeah. I remember uh, CE, um, a former professor of mine, uh, amazing cinematographer. Uh, I've had him on this show before. Um, he's he's pretty hippy dippy. Uh, uh, but sometimes I appreciate it. Um, he, he used to assign Zen and the Art of Archery, uh, that book, to uh, to his students. And um, and really all he's talking like in Zen, they talk about the flow state where the, you, you want to get as close to the state as possible, where um, you're open to good ideas and you're rejecting of of things that are kind of poisoning you. And you're like, you know, if you were in a flow state kind of at the end of a day when you look back and you were like, it just felt kind of right. And like I used to I used to run track when I was younger and it was the same sort of thing where um, I think we have a tendency sometimes to be like, well, did you did you run so hard that you puked? That's how you know if you did well right, yeah. uh, you know, ver- ver- versus like, you know, I trained and I was thinking clearly. And I ran the you know, the best race I've ever run or or I, I didn't run a great race, but I did everything right. Still, you know, something like, it, it, yeah, it, you know, I think I used to have this idea that like, you know, it, if I was getting really stressed out and anxious, that somehow meant I was doing my job or something. Yeah. You oh, know? That, that, that's American. I mean, we're taught that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we yeah. are sort of ingrained in that, that you have to sort of be. You know, if you're not if you're not if you're not feeling like you're on the edge of a nervous breakdown or whatever, you're not doing it right. And now I'm just like I, I, I I'm really kind of working against that because I've just realized that, like, that's stupid because you you make so many more mistakes when you kind of let your when you let your emotions sort of run away like that. Um, you you make stupid mistakes, you know, where you just you make emotional decisions, which on, on a film, you know, you make you make emotional decisions with the direction but with a lot of the logistics and stuff, it's like you need to be kind of just purely logical yeah. and just you know, just sort of you know take a step back and just say, okay, uh, we'll do this, and we'll, you know, then we'll move over here. And um, and yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's I'm I, one of the reasons I'm looking forward to this film is is um, is because I'm you know I really am going to try to do that where I'm just going to try to take a different attitude. I mean, I've been a lot more sort of. I think, you know, in the past, I've kind of, when I've, when I've gone to make a film, it's, if I've sort of been like, oh, I've got all these things standing in my way. And this is kind of the first film where I'm really, I'm really feeling like, like, fuck it. Like, I'll just like, I'll, it'll, I'll just go forward, you know, like, and it, it'll like, and I, I just feel like it'll all work out, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of a weird, it's kind of weird to be in that frame of mind. Cause you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I just, I just feel like if I, if I just keep moving forward, like. It's all it's it's all going to work out, you know. It's a super good place to be. I could be horribly wrong, obviously. But, <laughs> well, yeah. it, it it almost doesn't matter if you are. Um, it it really wouldn't because I, yeah. I could I could I could give you a million disclaimers of like I'm worried about this and I'm worried about that and blah, 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 blah. and it's like the film will either come out good or it won't. And it's like my my narrative on what I was doing um, really doesn't matter. It's irrelevant, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, in your Kickstarter video, you talk about. Um, you know, film obviously being a collaborative medium, uh, it, it requires resources. Um, when you're directing, sort of who 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 are, who are you collaborating with most? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, is it is it performances? Is it cinematography? Like what 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 are the relationships that really matter to you? Um, I you know I think I think with the the actors, you really have to try to get a good relationship going. If you do, then you can kind of you know you can steer them. Um, you can just you can have a much more open conversation about like what you're trying to achieve rather than feeling like weird. You know, like sometimes if if you get to know the actor a little bit and, and you're kind of talking, you can say, 
okay, like, you know, what you're doing, it's like, it's coming off very kind of theatrical or something. And you don't feel weird about using language like that because you're both sort of comfortable with each other. Um, and you're not kind of tiptoeing around like, you know, so you just, you kind of can describe to them a little bit more openly, like, okay, you know, the camera is like a foot from your face. So like, you really don't, you don't need to be um, overemphasizing that way. It's like the, we're going to see so much on your face. So just restrain yourself, pull it back in. And um, so that's definitely good. I mean, and it definitely when it comes to the crew, I mean, I, you know, I produced, um, well, um, you know, Sarah Bordelon, who uh, produced my last film and she's um, producing on this film. It's, you know, I mean, that's like a critical relationship. I mean, I, I, I don't think I ever want to do anything again without a producer because, you know, it's, it's so much better to have like a, a kind of calm, reasoned person um, who, you know, counteracts, um, you know, the sort of the, the intensity of directing. Mm -hmm. um, someone who can just kind of be there and, and just kind of be analyzing the problems as they develop and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, then definitely when it comes to like camera crew and, um, and sound, I think sound is, sound always gets mistreated, you know, like, I mean, it, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm sort of, I don't know, I'm sort of obsessive about, um, getting good sound or trying to get it just because I, I find it so distracting when there's bad sound in a movie. So I think you need, you need really good sound people. And you also, you can't just, you can't just create horrible circumstances you know, and then expect those sound people to, to do well. You need to enable them to do well. So you need to actually listen to them. And if they're saying, you know, this room's horrible, like we need to put down some carpets or something to, you know, deaden the noise, like you actually need to listen to that rather than, um, I think, you know, I've heard all these sort of stories about people who the sound person was like, the sound we're getting is really bad. And the director's just like, ah, don't worry about it, you know, and, wow. and, yeah. And, you know, I, I've never taken that attitude because it's like if, you know, if there's a bird chirping outside the window and you're trying to do dialogue and it sounds really distracting, it's like they're not going to be able to get rid of that. You yeah, know, right, right. I, mean, I think I think people think, you know, like, I mean, sound sound mixers can be sort of magicians, but it's like there are limits to you. You know, you have to get good sound to start with. And, and yeah, so I'm, I'm very obsessive about that. And then I, we, I always have to record everything clean. I mean, it, it, like, I, I think on my first movie we did, we, you know, we, we thought we were, <clears throat> we thought we were big shots and could do ADR and Foley. And, uh, you know, it's really no, hard. It, it's just like, no, you just, just, you know, buy the microphones, mic the people up and get it on the day. It, it'll make all the difference in the world. Um, and yeah. then, and then, you know, when, when it's time to mix, um, you don't need a big professional mixer. You don't need to go out and do a second Kickstarter to get to, you know, finishing funds to yeah. do your movie. Because if you have clean audio, you can just mute the bad tracks, level up the good tracks. Uh, and, and, you know, somebody who, who may not be all that experienced can do it because there's not a lot of, uh, hard work to do. There's not a lot of heavy lifting to do. I, you know, I, I've never done any real ADR. Um, I, I've, I've heard that, you know, you pro, you might know the percentage too, but I know a significant percentage of, you know, Hollywood films like that is ADR, the dialogue. And like, I don't know how I, the, those actors must just become pros at it because like it went, you know, I've seen other people try to do it and it's just like, you know, you get that, that kind of like rubber lips where it's not quite matching and, and it's just like, yeah, it's really hard to do. You know, I, I had a, uh, 
I, I, I worked a couple of times with Ben Fisher. He, he's been on this show as well. Um, great actor. And, and uh, I've only ever gotten, I believe, awesome performances out of him. I, I don't think he can deliver a bad performance. And um, I needed him to ADR uh, a, a, an entire scene in Sexually Frank. It turned out that there was a, a fucking fish tank or something that was <laughs> uh, scr- screwing, us, <laughs> screwing us up. And um, I tried to have him do it, and he just could not, you know, call it method acting or whatever, but he just could not re-perform that moment. Um, yeah. it, it didn't even, it wasn't even an issue of like, Oh, it doesn't match your lips or something like that. It didn't match the energy. It didn't match the mood. It didn't match the ambience of, of the room. It didn't, it just didn't work. And I ultimately was like, I'd rather live with some, you know, a little bit of motorized fish tank sound than yeah. um, than than sacrifice your entire performance. Well, you know, I mean, it's like, it, it's just such a different, I mean, it's like, you know, when they go to make like, a lot of those, you know, Pixar animated films. I was listening to Tom Hanks talk, and he's like, they have you do every line a million different ways, um, you know, because they they don't really know how they're, you know, how they're going to cut it together and yeah. get it to match because they got to do the animation after. And yeah, it must just be totally different. I mean, when you're an actor and you're on set, and there's other characters, and you're in a scene and you're performing, and then it's like you're sitting next to a microphone and trying to recreate that performance. I, you know, I'm. It's strange because you know I'm, I'm not I'm not I don't I don't really act you know I I did a little bit in high school but I have such um, when I see really like good acting I'm sort of just in awe you know because I I don't know how people are kind of pulling that out of themselves and and you're just like wow you know I mean I yeah, just really subtle and really powerful and just you know I don't know yeah it just an intrig- an intriguing performance can <clears throat> can change an entire film. It can make an entire film. It- well, yeah, there, there's you know there's kind of the there's sort of like a lot of people in in films they go for like the big kind of more colorful characters, you know. So it's like I want to play the you know um, you know I want to play the juicy meaty role, and you know the one that has a lot of big lines and it's very like over the top. Meh, I don't over the top sounds harsh, but you know it's very big. I remember Christian Bale talked about it when he won his Oscar for uh, for the Fighter. Um, yeah. Cause he got to play the heroin addict that lost all the weight and had a big accent and you notice the acting because you know, Christian Bale and you know the character. So you yeah. get to see the the difference between the two, but he was like, uh, you know, I, I want to thank, um, you know, the people in this film that just really kind of played the supporting guys and gals. He goes, I've played plenty of those roles too. And, uh, and they're thankless, but, but crucial. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's like, it, you know, it's like there's, uh, you notice big act, big characters. I guess that's the best way to put it. Like, yeah, if you get to play a big character, then you get to really showcase your abilities, like Heath Ledger's Joker or something like that. I, of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's you know, that's sort of the. I mean, that's you know, I mean, in a way, like I, in a way, you know, the whole idea of like an acting award. I, I was listening to Jason Alexander talk about this, and he was saying, you know, it's inherently unfair because it's like it's really about who got the best role rather than who gave the best performance. It's I mean, obviously, true, yeah. there is there is you know some acting uh, talent obviously that's out there, but it it really is if if you land a juicy role and you play it right, it's like that's almost more about the role in a way, you know. And if you were cast right, you know, yeah. because you can't you know not I, I think you definitely need to be cast correctly, um, but. Um, 
I remember Bill Burr. Uh, he played like um, he's a he's a stand up comedian from Boston. He's very funny, and he's kind of gaining some traction. He was uh, he played like one of Saul Goodman's like lackeys in season four of Breaking Bad, <clears throat> and uh, he he of course was being self deprecating. And she, is he the redhead guy? Yeah, he plays. Okay. Yeah, of the so there's Huel, and then there was like the redheaded one, right? And um, I guess he was like a fan from episode one. Yeah. Uh, and so then, then when he was able to get on the show, it was like getting sucked into his TV because he already was like a huge fan of the show. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but <clears throat> he said like after that, people were like, oh, you're not just a comedian. You're also an actor. And uh, he was like, yeah, I was, I was able to show people that I can uh, I can act if you give me the best writers on television. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I said, like, dude, you would be good in that role. You just hit your mark and say exactly what they wrote and you'll be fine. Yeah. It's. <laughs> It's interesting, you know, when you hear about, like, which actors consider themselves, like, a, a comedian acting and which are, like, an actor doing comedy. Because, you know, a lot of people are talking about um, Foxcatcher. And, like, I, I, I wasn't aware of this, but, like, Steve Carell, I guess, considers himself an actor who does comedy. But, like, he doesn't – I guess he doesn't consider himself a comedian, you know. Yeah. like, and, and I thought that was kind of interesting because – Everyone's kind of talking about you know this this dark performance he's giving in Foxcatcher. I really want to see it, and um, and you can kind of you know if if someone's if someone's sort of takes the approach, oh well, I'm an actor, you know, I can do a variety of things. Um, that's that's just it's just kind of interesting to see how different people think of themselves. You know, it's like a John C. Riley comes to mind as well. Um, that's right, yeah, because he's done some dramatic stuff. Yeah, almost. Yeah. It, my earliest memories of him were were Paul Thomas Anderson movies. And, but uh, then he then he started doing um, like things with Will Smith and and Will, kind of Will Ferrell, yeah. <laughs> Will Smith, what was I talking about? Parents, <laughs> parents just don't understand. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get into the the meat of the production. So you yeah. need uh, some cash to do this movie. I do, yeah. I need. Um, I'm trying to raise eight thousand dollars to go off and make it. So where does where does the money go? Why why where did the eight thousand dollar figure come from? Um, I did a rough budget and, you know, I, I figured out, you know, what we were going to have to rent and I made, you know, I made projections for feeding the crew and travel expenses and, um, paying for gasoline and props. And, um, you know, I say in the Kickstarter video that, you know, that you saw that quote about the Orson Welles quote about an army and, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm sure you're aware, like logistically, you just end up paying for a lot of stuff, you know. It be, it becomes very very expensive, uh, very very quickly. Um, well, actually, you I know we we have sort of a different opinion on this because I know you kind of take the you don't need a lot of money um, approach, but um, I definitely you know I've never done any crowdfunding before. I, I've sort of just have self financed the shorts I've done before, and um, this time out, you know, I'm just like I'm just totally broke. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I, I will say that having a full time job is helpful when. <laughs> when when you just have to reach into your wallet and pay for something real quick that you didn't expect to have to pay for, like you know, gas comes up for for sure, and um, you know, often we wanted to treat the cast and crew after a long day, and uh, one time, uh, you know, a location owner w w there was a miscommunication, and suddenly we had to shell out two hundred bucks right then and there, and right. so like things do come up, and and um, while I don't believe that you necessarily need. Um, uh, uh, th th I don't believe that money should get in the way of anybody creating anything. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, if you wanted, there are certain things that are going to cost money, uh, along the way and you have to be, it, you know, it would be irresponsible to not be prepared for those moments. I mean, you know, ultimately like, 
I know that in the long run, and you know, I, I think I wrote this at the in the bottom of the Kickstarter. You know, I'll spend way more than eight thousand dollars. But I mean, but when all said and done, when when we've gone through um, post production, and you know, when I'm paying festival fees and stuff like that, I I you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's you know, I don't know, more like fourteen or something. When you when you when you start factoring in all those little things that that kind of crop up later, you know. Um, but, you know, and, you know, that's, you know, so I'm really just kind of looking for the money to 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 definitely get through production on the film. And then, like, you know, I mean, I said, you know, I said if, if you know, on Kickstarter, I don't know, I've seen a lot of people do this where they put the stretch goals. Um, but, you know, I, I don't, I mean, unless people are, you know, really generous, I, I, I think I'll be lucky even to get to eight, you know. And that's really, the eight is my main goal because that's what I need. Um, for what our budget is to, to actually go off and make the film. And then, you know, as other expenses come up later, you know, I'll just, I'll get a job and just, you know, I'll do, I'll do the sort of, you know, just I'll bank money and just try to, you know, pay festival fees and stuff like that. I mean, I've done it before, you know, it's just, it just takes longer. What happens if you don't reach the 8,000 goal? I, uh, well, you know, I don't get it. Um, I don't get anything that I've raised, uh, which is, you know, sort of the thing with Kickstarter, you know, it's kind of this, um, you're gambling a little bit, but it's also, it creates this sort of manic energy of like, I have to raise the money. I have to raise the money. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, if, you know, if it doesn't happen, it, it won't happen. I mean, I can't, I, I can't control, you know, if, if people want to support my project or not, I, I hope people will. I, I really wouldn't be, you know, I said this again. I said this in the video. I really wouldn't be asking if I if I didn't think this was going to be a good project. You know, I like I said, I've never I've never done any crowdfunding before. You know, there were other films that when I was going to make them, I felt much more sort of on the fence of like, is this going to work out? Is this going to go well? And you know, when you when you feel a little on the fence, you don't want to go and ask people for money. You know, because it's it, you're just like, well, that that's awkward. You know, and so. Um, I'm really only asking, you know, because I feel really sort of good and confident, you know, that like this is worth it. You know, this is worth, you know, if, if you make a contribution, the resulting film will be worth it. You know, I think people should see what you can do on a shoestring uh, so that so that they'll be uh, that much more confident to to see what you can do with an actual uh, with with a few bucks. So yeah. uh, is there a way people can see something like Wrigley and King or. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um if you my the Kickstarter is um, it's linked to my Vimeo and um, so if you go under my profile you can you can look at through Vimeo um, and Wriggling King is public and I mean that was you know that's that's probably like the most successful short I've made in terms of you know it, it then it went out to a lot of festivals and it did really well um, there's some other you know there's some other films on there um, too I mean Wriggling King I sort of use that as a um, kind of a standard when I'm trying to, you know, when I'm trying to show people like, I mean, basically when you're trying to sell yourself to the world, you know, and you're, you're trying to say, look, I, I, I know what I'm doing. Like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go off and just kind of blow this. Um, and that's the one I sort of show to people to kind of try to gain their trust and confidence because a lot of people really like that short and think it's very well put together. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, we talked a little bit about how, you're always trying to like build up your resume. Um, and you, you know, I mean, cause we were talking, I think we talked about this in the festival, um, podcast, but, but how we weren't really sure if, if festivals really, if they did anything for your, 
career directly other than they sort of they they gained you um credibility with the people like around you in your life yeah um because you know they sort of they sort of showed that oh you know like if 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 you can send this in and you know it's it's it it, it gets played at a national level or if you can send a script in and it becomes a semifinalist at, at a good festival on a national level um clearly there's something there's something here that this person is is doing that does you know rise above and and might be worth my contribution you know it's it's always uh <laughs> you know it's always one of those things where you you're i don't know you're always trying to sell yourself you're always trying to convince people that you know what you're doing and i think you i don't know i, I guess i'm at a point where i do feel like i know what i'm doing well it's you know it's like the worst thing you can do is try to sell some sell sell somebody something that's unproven um, yeah and you know, the, I, I think the worst Kickstarters that I see are like, uh, I need $3,000 to make my first film ever. Um, <clears throat> and my, my favorite, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll have a cold. Um, yeah, no worries. my, uh, my, 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 uh, the, the, uh, the Kickstarters that I think are the most successful and the most kind of worthy are, are things that are like, Hey, look, look at this body of work that I've been doing up to this point. Now help me get to the next level or, uh, or, or even the ones that are like basically pre-order it. Um, I don't have yeah. the I don't have the starting funds to make this, but if if the audience is there uh, to buy it at the end, well, then how come they can't just fund it at the beginning and get a DVD now? You know, so yeah, I mean that's that's the whole thing is you you know you definitely are you definitely are trying to build people's trust and confidence that you know if someone gives you fifty a hundred bucks, you know that you're not just gonna piss it away and just you know make some horrible film that no one ever wants to watch that you are going to make something that is going to be substantial and you're going to put craftsmanship into it and really take your time and make sure it comes out right. And I mean, I think that's, I mean, I, I really, I, I don't think I could do a, a, a Kickstarter if I didn't, if I didn't feel that way. Like if, if I had a script that I felt, you know, I was just like, Oh, I, I don't think the script's very good or I don't think it's there. I, I don't think I could do a Kickstarter. Right. You know, cause it would just be, it would just be, you know, sort of emotionally and mentally just too difficult to kind of think like, are you getting people to fund fund something that you don't feel really strongly about? And, you know, so, I mean, the only reason I'm moving forward and doing a Kickstarter on this is that I do feel very strongly about this project. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm certainly going to support you. Um, you're a talented filmmaker. You've been at it for a while. Uh, I know you personally and know that there's no way that you would be asking for money uh, uh, unless you were really confident in the project and and knew that that money was going to lead to something great. So I'm I'm looking forward to this movie. I love the script. I love the idea. Um, and I think other people should should help you out. Um, yeah, I yeah I really I really hope people will. I mean, you know, it, it's it's definitely, you know, when you got a lot of friends and stuff, and you've never like asked people for money before, it's kind of like it. I know it can be kind of weird and like I don't know, maybe a little awkward. But um, well, you're not selling steak knives, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're not selling steak knives, you know, but if, if you've never, you know, if you've been friends with someone for years and then you're like, want to make a donation to my film, you know, it's like it, it. But I think, you know, my philosophy has always been because I've, I've actually done a lot of donating over the last several years to other people's um, crowdfunding, whether it's Indiegogo or Kickstarter. And, you know, I always just think like you have to support your 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 friends and colleagues, yeah. you know, you, you and, and so, you know. You because we're we're not you know we're outside of you know the official kind of financing you know no one here is is getting no one's getting a cut check I mean a, a check cut 
for a huge amount of money. Um, so I think when you're in the independent sort of world, just starting out, I do think you need to support each other, you know, and I, I do think it's, it's important. And, you know, um, obviously that being said, if people don't want to support me, um, you know, I understand, but, uh, I definitely hope that they will. I was at the Austin film festival a couple of weeks ago and, um, <clears throat> they have some really awesome conferences and, and it, it is a large film conference. Uh, did you go with, with, uh, the screenwriting group some years ago? No, I've never, I've never been, I've never had the money. Uh, cause it's like, it's a little over a grand, right. Yeah, I think yeah. to go on the school trip, I've always wanted to go, but then I always thought, well, it's a lot of money and I, I should go if, if I have a reason to go, like if I, you know, cause obviously I, I always wanted to get like a, like a script in at Austin or something, you well, know, you get a film in there, you get a, you get a badge to the whole thing. So then you can right. kind of just, and the badge is like $700. So, um, but I, I went to one, uh, one seminar, um, it was by a woman who, who owns this company called seed, seed and spark and they do <clears throat> crowdfunding, uh, but also content delivery. So they kind of want to be, it, it's their aim to, to help people raise funds and then distribute all on one platform. And, um, she had some interesting insights on, on, uh, you know, that really when you're doing your crowdfunding, you should be also building that your audience at the exact same time that it should be, it shouldn't be exclusively about the money. It should also be about, uh, engagement in the content. So, uh, you know, I, I think we see a lot of Kickstarters where, you know, there, there's kind of the promise of engagement. Like you're going to, you're going to get some, uh, some, uh, uh, behind the scenes videos. You're going to get to see photos. You're going to get to kind of really be a part of making this movie. And then I think it, 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 a lot of times that, that kind of crumbles, and uh, and and everybody gets the same experience as the people who donated, which seems really unfair and really against the spirit of the thing. It's it's yeah, it's definitely. I mean, I think sometimes people they sort of set themselves up, you know, with the rewards. They kind of they promise sort of too much, um, and then you know uh, they don't really. You know, it's hard. It's hard to kind of deliver with the the level that they're kind of thinking they will initially. Yeah. You know, I mean, with my rewards, you know, I mean. I don't think they're particularly um, different. You know, I tried to do, I tried to, you know, obviously you watch a lot of Kickstarters, you try to emulate what you think other people have done successfully. You know, so I did things like people get copies of the script and they get digital copies of the film that they can watch or they get DVDs. And then there's a lot of, you know, kind of fun swag, you know, which I know is kind of, uh, it can kind of seem silly, but like that's kind of the point. Like you kind of, you're trying to have fun with people. Yeah. You know, so you're, you're, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to kind of show people like, cause it is this sort of like, you know, it, it, it should be kind of fun for them cause they are giving their, their money to you and, and you want them to feel good about it, you know, and you want them to feel like, oh, you know, it's kind of fun. Like I, I got a little, you know, I got a mouse pad, you know, or something and, and, you know, um, you know, so, I mean, I've just, you know, I, I haven't, uh, I guess I, you know, I haven't made really, when I, I I wasn't planning on doing like behind the scenes stuff, really. Um, I, I wasn't planning on shooting behind the scenes footage, um, just because that would sort of be a you know an added complication. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, I'm I'm definitely I'm really good at keeping following up. You know, I'm 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 very kind of fanatical about that. You know, so I mean, people who donate, like I mean, they're going to get what I promised, yeah. and I mean, they're and you know, I'll be sending people emails and updates and stuff like that. Cause I mean, it's, it's important to me. I, I don't like it when, 
Um, well, you know, okay. Well, when I donate to other people's Kickstarters, you know, a lot of times I'll either select, I'll sometimes I'll select like no reward, or I'll just, you know, I'll just automatically click that I got the reward because like th- that's not what it was about for me. Yeah, I was point, yeah. I, I was donating to support them. I wasn't donating to to get a postcard or something. Um, but you know, I do think that um, for p- particularly people, I'm just one perspective, and I know there's people out there that if you if you do promise them some cool reward and then you never deliver on it, like that's that's lame, you know. They may not donate for a mug, but they might, especially somebody who doesn't know you personally, they might be donating because they want to be part of something. Yeah. And and uh, there are ways, there are incentives and and ways to communicate with them that make them feel part of something. And the fact of the matter is, is as soon as you're asking for money and you're going to be using other people's money to do something, you have a responsibility to them. And when you have a responsibility to them, you're you're enterprising. You're not just a filmmaker anymore. You're a filmmaker entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, you, you are. You know. And and yeah. that that means engaging them and respecting them, and uh, 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 it means a lot of tweeting too. So I hope you get your tweet your Twitter fingers ready. <laughs> oh yeah, I hadn't. You know. Well, this is embarrassing, but I yeah, I hadn't even thought about Twitter. It's big because. Uh, I mean, I've, I'll, look, I've I've gone to a few of these now where I'm trying to learn about this stuff, and it, I I always leave feeling soulless. But <coughs> the truth is, uh, Twitter more than Facebook, uh, and maybe even more than other social media platforms, is considered non-consensual. In other words, like I can follow you, but you don't have to follow me. Yeah, and that makes it the best place to meet strangers. Sure. And strangers are, you know, once you, once, once all of your family and friends have given you the money and you're still halfway to $8,000, uh, you, you, you need people from the internet to help you out. And so then it turns into a thing about like, well, to get people that don't know me to support me, uh, I have to engage them personally. Right. I have to actually reach out to the people that I want to support me or that I want to work with or who I think will be interested in me, like special interest groups or anybody like that. And, uh, and, and I, I'm not going to succeed by simply tweeting a special interest group and saying, uh, you know, let's say it's like the homeless association or something like that. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to tweet them and say, please give me money. Cause they won't you, they, they, they give the tips they give you are literally like tweet the homeless association nine different times, complimenting them and telling them how wonderful they are. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, finally be like, Hey, if you want to get involved in something cool, I'm making a movie. So yeah, you, you have to really kind of blow someone else before, uh, you can expect a kiss back. Um, uh, how, how, uh, how apt an analogy. Um, yeah, I guess I should, I guess I should get on that. Cause I don't think I actually have, I, I never, you know, I just, I never really got into Twitter. Um, I mean, I, I know I have an account, but I don't think I have that many followers. So I guess I'll have to fire that up and, and, um, give that a shot. Cause, uh, yeah, you know, I, I just, um, I mean, when it comes to social media, like, I'm, you know, I, I, I do a lot with Facebook, but I, I don't know, I, I, I just never got into Twitter. Um, so, I mean, I guess, I guess I'll have to do some work on that to try to, it's, you know. It's crazy, man. You, like, people, like, because obviously it's it's also, when you're trying to reach out to strangers, it's it's a war of attrition. It's just like, eventually somebody will, will bite. And so, the, the, these people who are real into Twitter, they don't they don't sit there tweeting all day. They schedule their tweets. They, they literally mm. install apps that are like, okay, at six, because then you start looking at things like, well, what are the best times to tweet? When are people looking at Twitter? Oh, during the morning commute or on Sundays at 6 PM, because they don't want to go back to work. You know, like they, you start looking at all that kind of data and yeah, I mean, this is how you, this is how you do it. So 
Um, yeah. Have you? I'm I'm curious. You've never done any crowdfunding, right? No, no, no. Yeah, but I, you've have you helped on some other people's? I, have I given money before? Yeah. No, I meant uh, like have you? I don't know, like put them on Twitter or something. You know, like like shared their link or something. Yeah, I think I think once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm doing it right now. Yeah. No, I know. I was. <laughs> Am I your guinea pig? No, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I have. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, or, or, or there, there have been things that literally I just I know I'm gonna love, and so I, I give to it because I'm like I want a DVD at the end of that. I want that to get made or whatever. Yeah. Um, but how? Do, why, why did I love that thing so much that I wanted to give? Because I was a fan. Well, how did they make me a fan? They probably engaged me on some level at some point. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, that's what filmmakers have to do now. It's not enough that you. Uh, that you actually make the damn thing. Um, no, it's, it's true. I mean, you know, yeah, you definitely, I mean, I, I think, you know, I'm not, maybe I'm not so good at the, um, the kind of the, the selling myself aspect. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that maybe does come a little bit harder for me, but you know, I, I am, you know, I do love talking with people, you know, particularly, you know, so, I mean, if I can engage people, um, that way, you know, if someone wants to, you know, shoot me an email and ask me about the film or if, you know, just talking with people in everyday life. I mean, I, I, I love talking with people, you know, about filmmaking, about screenwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's sort of more kind of what I'm good at rather than the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not so good at the, you know, like, um, you know, the guy at the, the, the circus or whatever being like, Step right up, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you know, yeah. like that—that—that that, that probably is a little harder for me to do. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's it's tough, but um, but you got to make fans out of people. That's the uh, that's the goal. It, it, that that was something that I feel like you know I, I sometimes get compared to to Kevin Smith probably because of the beard and the weight or something like that. But the uh, actually, yeah, I could, yeah, I understand. Well, you're yeah, you you sort of uh, you you become kind of a, a social presence like him, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think the thing I learned from him <clears throat> was the the people who are Kevin Smith fans, they're not fa- they're not really necessarily fans of his movies in particular. There are people out there who love yeah. cler- love Clerks, and that's the end of the story. But for the most part, people are fans of him, the guy. And then they kind of and the movies were kind of icebreakers, or they were conversation starters, or you're just as interested in you know, his video blogs leading up to the movie as you are the movie itself. And so the, the experience, when he makes a movie, the experience starts long before you're in the theater and it ends long after you leave the theater. And that was always something that I think I wanted from, and that's why I, I've gotten into podcasting and I, I, I've written a book and I kind of like doing this, this, um, kind of A to Z thing that's, it's ongoing creative energy as opposed to like watch my one movie or something like that. And, yeah. and, and in doing that, I mean, look, I don't have some fucking fan base, or something, but I, in doing that, I've, I've gotten a few sort of followers and, and, uh, who, who will always turn out to help me with my work and also will always turn out to watch my work. So, um, and I, I did that not as a, like, I gotta be a salesman now, but as kind of a, that, that, uh, that's one of the things about, about art that, attracts me is is um is expressing and relating to people like-minded people yeah well i i I can't remember who was talking about this but was it uh i don't know either i read it or someone i was talking to was talking about it and they were saying you know that maybe the model for the future won't be that you have you know your movie's seen by millions of people maybe it's just seen by a few hundred but those those few hundred are really fanatical about what you're doing, you know, and, and if you can 
if you sort of get people who really believe in what you're doing and you, you sort of form that core fan base yeah. and, you know, if, if they're willing to kind of help you along your way, you know, cause I mean, we both like, for instance, like we both like red letter media a lot, yeah. you know, I mean, I've donated to them, um, you know, <laughs> I like what they're doing. I, I bought, you know, some of their merchandise and stuff and, you know, um, I just I want to see those guys keep doing what they're doing, yeah. you know, and it, it it's like that's important to me. And and so I think maybe that's kind of a model for the future where you have um, you have people who do just want to sort of see you keep going. And maybe you're never going to maybe you're never going to reach that, you know, the sort of the 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 old traditional mega levels of success, right. you know, but you're because I mean, with online distribution and stuff like I think the game is starting to shift, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. When 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 the culture re- reaches a saturation point of like ah, there's so much media, you end up you you kind of have to select the media that you routinely check back in on, and and uh, yeah, so everybody kind of just has a small fan base. I, I think I'm hoping that that's the model because that's I need something. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the way it it, it kind of goes. Because I mean, I, I you know some musicians uh, sort of did that where you know it's it's like rather than going through a a, a record company and the record company takes a takes a cut if they just self distribute the music to their fans. Um, it works out better for pretty much everyone um, because you know the the artist gets gets more of the cash um, and they 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 sort of have a more direct involvement. Um, granted, you know there are advantages to having kind of you know a major established platform backing you. Um, you know, cause I mean, people are going to see your film or hear your song who know absolutely nothing about you. And, and so you have the potential to reach people on a much larger scale. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, the problem is, is that not everyone gets that opportunity. Right. So, you know, it's like, you can't, you can't sit around waiting for, um, you know, someone to kind of just to pick you and, and rise, you know, rise you up. I think you just kind of have to get going. And try to you know try to do what you want to do on your own. Well, Neil, as I said, I'm a fan of yours. Um, I want to see this movie get made. I want to watch this movie. I want to sit in a movie theater and watch this movie. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, you'll you'll obviously you can come to the thesis screening, and if I do another you know uh, show, I mean, I yeah, I want, want to thank you for um, you know having me on. Uh, you know, this is I think this is definitely um, it's great if people can just hear me talk a little bit more about the project and my my sort of perspective in general. So the movie is called Underside, one word. Uh, it's on Kickstarter. Yep. Uh, you should be friends with Neil Murphy on Facebook uh, if you're not already. Uh, or you can just kind of do a Google search for Underside Kickstarter and uh, give, give him a few bucks. Let, let, let's, let's see this movie. It, it's, I, I am confident that this is going to be really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Thank you, Frankie. I really I appreciate that. All right. 